Online. I'm your host, Omar Ordaz, and today I have a very special guest. Today I have Emily Swift. She is a renowned photographer, primarily working with film photography. I don't think you do any of digital, right? I do, actually. Um, But my... I mostly shoot film. Mostly, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's the better better side, but you know, we can have an argument about that later. You, but, <laughs> but she's an amazing uh, photographer. She's done Fashion Week before. She's an expert in anything you know. We're going to be hearing all about it today. And yeah, I'll go ahead and let you kind of give a little bit more about yourself, Emily. Sure. Well, thank you, Omar. Thank you so much for having me. Um, yeah, so what I what I do is actually more so a nice blend of digital and film. And I've done a lot of things on both sides of the photography spectrum that have now at this point in my life come full circle to be uh what is my new business that I do in conjunction with my photography business that I've had for a while um so yeah I'm a little all over the place there's a lot of things I've done a lot of things I still do um every day I think as a creative is kind of chaos but beautiful chaos is how mm-hmm. I like to describe what I do so it's like yeah I have the film lab I am a photographer and yeah, do a little bit of everything. Yeah. How, how did you kind of get started off with photography? Because I remember reading a bit about you. I know uh, your first camera was a Minolta XG1 that your grandfather yep. gave you, correct? <laughs> yes. Uh, so I, um, I signed up for a film photography course my freshman year of high school, which was a long time ago at this point. <laughs> it's so weird to tell the story now because it's actually been a long time ago. And uh, back when I used to show story, I would say like, oh yeah, it was a few years ago. But now it's like, now when I say it, I'm like, oh wow, it was actually like quite a while ago, huh? <laughs> <laughs> so that was back in like 2010-ish. Uh, so I, my grandfather um, had a camera and my family, we all kind of grew up in the same town. So one of my cousins had signed up for the same exact film photography course that I had signed, was about to take my freshman year. And so he had my grandfather's old camera. And I asked my grandfather, hey, do you still have your old camera? I need it for this class I'm taking. And he said, oh yeah, go grab it from your cousin. Uh, He took the same course. So my teacher like knew him, knew my cousin also. And that was the camera that just started it all (laughs) for me. Um, I really enjoyed the process as I got to know film photography because I have always been a very tactile artist. You know, like I would draw my walls, like paint just everywhere. Just anything I could get my hands on, I would mash it. I used to like eat sand as a kid. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? You were, you were the full artist, the whole nine yards, eating the yeah. sand, writing on walls. Anything <laughs> I could just get my hands messy in, I loved. And so first I get this cool camera from my grandpa, right? And it's old and I have no idea how it works, but I could sit there and tinker with it. And my creative mind first fell in love with that camera and then I got to go learn how to use it and guess what you get to be so messy (laughs) once you finish like once you complete the 
shooting of the camera, the role. Then you get to go play with some chemicals. Oh my gosh. Like, <laughs> put your hands in them. And like this, oh man, the tactile experience of it was just like, it wasn't that different from creating a painting or creating a drawing. And mm -hmm. now I was getting this perfect rendition of what I saw. And so that was like what started it all for me. And so I, I did that for four years um, in high school. And arguably my high school had a better dark room than my college did. Wow. Um, so I really got to start playing in the sand. And my only purpose of shooting was to learn how to get better at it. And I was able to just like get lost in the dark room and like get lost in the sauce. And it was so fun <laughs> to me that I felt like it was kind of my safe space to retreat from the world and just explore my process was it like perfect timing for you that you were able to like have that escape like have a place that could be like you considered safe space for you to work and just like escape whatever it is you were really going through at that time oh a hundred percent i think anybody who has fallen in love with any creative process has fallen in love with it because it's a form of like healthy escapism right mm -hmm. like me i always say playing in the sand i use that as such a reference because when you get to play in the sand when you're a kid like i said like when you're somebody who's inherently tactile you start like me like making a sandcastle say and it's fun and you just get so focused on constructing the sandcastle and there's no grand reason to constructing it other than that it's fun to make yeah. And at the end, you know, the tide's going to wash it away and whatever, but you use your hands to create something that you get to step back and look at and go, wow. And while you're creating it, you don't have to think about anything else. <laughs> it's flow state, you know, it's you just focus, you, you escape whatever was filling your head and you're like, hey, I'm going to make this freaking sandcastle. Yeah. And not think about anything but the sandcastle. And at the end, look at this gorgeous sandcastle. That's all that and matters. <laughs> you do that inherently, I think, as a kid, because it's fun. But then as you get older, the people who stick with that creative process, like I'm always going back to process, right? If you're, cur if you're always trying to find a process and it keeps landing on art, and you stick with it, you tend to stick with it because you have so much other things going on. You need a place to retreat that's safe. And that's what you're creating. Because at the end, you can be proud of it. And you can look at it and say like, hey, even though all this craziness is going on, look at this really pretty thing I was able to make. Exactly. And while I made it, I didn't have to think about all that other stuff. But also, while you have your process, could be your chance to think about those things and have somewhere quiet where you know you're not having sensory overload from your everyday interactions like I think that's another reason I really like the dark room is <laughs> it's almost like a sensory deprivation mm -hmm. tank right because it's the red room really? and you walk in and the one in my high school had uh like brick walls that were u-shaped 
And so the brick walls were painted black and there was no door. And I thought that was so cool. Mm-hmm. And I always would be mind blown. Like, how is it possible that there's no door, but there's no light in here that we have, like, we can use the paper that gets exposed under white light in a space that has, like, the red safe lights. Mm-hmm. But, like, how does the light not just come in here? I was like, always like, just so fascinated by that. Like, when I, right? I when I was, like, my freshman so, year of college, I got to work in that dark room, and it was just amazing. Oh, yeah, yeah. So they either have a revolving door, right? The one that you go in, and then you move it around you, and then you step out the other side. Mm-hmm. I hate those because I, I inherently bump into shit just because <laughs> I'm so clumsy. So, like, me getting in, and I'm so excited to look at my print. And in high school, I would be able to look at the tray while I was walking out of the, like, hallway because there was nothing in my way. (laughs) You know, Uh there was no door, like I said. So I could see the print transition from me viewing it under the red light to viewing it to the white light in the room. And it was so cool. So once I got to college and there was the revolving door, oh, you know how many people I crashed into? (laughs) I think everybody hated me in college because I was so, like, blindsided by my own, like, creative process and just inherently too excited to <laughs> see the world around me that I would like <laughs> bump into people at the door and like have like six prints I was squeegeeing oh my gosh <laughs> but oh my gosh now I forgot where where the conversation was heading where were we going with this oh we kind of went off uh because we, we, I, I, remember, we <laughs> I remember uh like asking about like <gasps> How did how did we get here? <laughs> but, oh, I think it was just my timeline. Yeah, um, yeah, a little bit of your timeline. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. All right. So, anyways, point. Oh, playing in the sand, playing in the sand. I make that reference a lot, um, because my time in the dark room in high school was my time to play in the sand and just nail the process and get really good at it. It became like a game to me, right? Yeah. Because. I figured out the camera end of it quickly because I was able to have some help from like my uh, family and uh, my unbeknownst to me ADD, where essentially I hyper fixated on it uh-huh. <laughs> and it never ended. We're still here. basically. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that's the thing about ADD where I didn't know I had it my whole life because I had a process I was so passionate about. I was able to almost mask my hyperfixations I would experience throughout my lifetime on film and mm-hmm. photography because it was cool and I just got pretty good at it pretty young. So it was comfortable for me. It was something that I understood, right? Like in my high school program, we shot one film. It was T Max 100. And Every single time you shoot that film under the same structure of shooting it, right, the emulsion of that film will never change, ever. So you have this very consistent variable in your process, right, that you can always learn to rely on, and that's the emulsion of the film. Because when you take pictures with a digital camera, it, like, will throw in whatever the hell colors the sensor thinks are supposed to be there. But film, it's an emulsion. It's a tangible thing that, like, T-Max 100 is never going to have, like, a something funky going on with it. Yeah. You fuck up the chemistry. Unless you fuck it it up, exactly. Right? So it's like, once you have 
once you nail the basics with one film stock and one developer of black and white film, you can start experimenting with so many other variables of it. And, you know, when you're a kid, you have time. You can yeah. build however many sandcastles you want. Exactly. You got a limited amount of sand that you can play with. Yeah. But my world got kind of shook up in 2012 because that was, I got to make a lot of sandcastles by 2012. And I was hiding from a lot of other things going on in my life by, it was, in a way, I was avoiding thinking about some of the things I was going through because they were inherently too complex for me to understand at that age. Mm -hmm. So I would just go fuck around in the dark room instead of think about it. Yeah. (laughs) You know, which as an adult, I've now realized that, okay, yeah, that was a not healthy mode of escapism by not using that time to process the things I go through, which I was too young to know that at the time, but that's really what I was doing. Yeah. Was using my creativity as a way to avoid the hard things I didn't want to think about. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that now coming full circle that I have I own a film lab <laughs> and I have my own dark room. Yeah. I, I've learned how to navigate messy waters and have the same resources I had available to me back then, where my focus was to learn this stuff where now I know this stuff, so I don't really have to think about it while I do it. I can think yeah. about the other things going on in my life and use it as a form of like meditation <laughs> and yeah. the time of self-reflection and whole like accountability. Because I think that holding yourself accountable and being able to like zoom out instead of like inherently somebody with ADD is so focused on zooming in like yeah all gas no breaks like, <laughs> holy crap this is so cool let me research it all night like, yeah let me get lost and let me like do it with no righteousness right like mm-hmm. if you're able to hit the brakes and zoom out and be like hey where i'm focusing all this time energy and eons of my brain is there a way that i can make it actually be something that works in my favor instead of against me. Mm-hmm. And so what I learned how to do was focus it on creating cool shit that hopefully one day would make me money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and ever since then, my life has been the chaos of figuring out how to do that. <laughs> so so being a person that has grown up with ADD and that you've you know been able to make all these accomplishments what was like the transition for you like well, like what you were just speaking on like turning this escapism into a form of meditation where you can self-reflect like what what was like the moment for you that kind of made you realize like oh like i'm using this time to hyper focus on something to distract myself from you know the other shit going on in my life i need to focus on that stuff in my life because you know it is important to take time for it what was kind of like that like like that snap like that realization that like i need to turn this you know while it is a healthy habit just being not used properly i guess you could say mm-hmm. uh and how did you turn that healthy habit into like your form of meditation um it was definitely like when you hit the wall burnout essentially is it um 
like I've I've hit the wall a couple times in my career and I've always navigated around it and I feel like some sometimes maybe the wall was actually just like a rock it wasn't as big as I thought it was but at the time it felt like a wall and then later on you just the walls get bigger and the the crashes get harder and these things are you know it's life testing you Mm -hmm. and some tests you fail and if you keep failing the tests that life presents to you they get harder until you do fail and that's when you burn out and when you burn out or when you hit like a rock bottom um i've learned that that's actually kind of a good thing because shit once you like lose it all or you hit the wall or you're just like oh my god what the hell am i gonna do like some crazy thing happens in your life that disrupts your peace and you're just like ah well guess what if you have no idea what to do that probably means you now have a chance to sit down and reflect on how you ended up here. So you can make yeah. sure you never end up here again. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> like, wow, yay, you're learning a lesson. It's a chance to now say, hey, how did I get here? And what the hell can I do to not get back here? And I think that the easiest way to do that is figure out what your personal definition of success is and not what the definition of success that's been thrown at you is because those are two very different things definitely think about it right if i'm a photographer and i'm trying to uh have this life working as a photographer what does a successful photographer look like there's so many different ways that can look there's so like what industry are you in who is your clientele like there's so many different ways that can go and if I want to grow up and be a photographer the only thing I can grow up to be is only what I know and who I know and what I see and when I was a a kid in high school and screwing around in the dark room like my world was very small it was my me my teacher in the dark room that I had at my school and like Mm -hmm. (laughs) he was like literally my friends were the other people who took photo class (laughs) it it became my comfortable space I was comfortable talking about film I was comfortable working around film I just inherently got such a strong uh base built into me that it was a conversation I could have so casually at such a young age because holy shit I hyper fixated on it (laughs) 24 7 and so the thing about film is it forces you to have patience right Mm -hmm. and I've noticed that with somebody who is chaotic like me and has ADD and like can barely keep like I have 10 billion tabs open the only way to slow those tabs down is you have to have something in your life that forces you to be freaking patient yeah where you just have to sit still and close your eyes and like call it meditation or whatever i can't meditate do you have any idea like what it's like trying to close all the tabs of my brain i have to make a sacrifice before trying to go to sleep at night it's literally impossible for me it's literally impossible insane (laughs) but you know what i can do is i can lock myself in a in a dark my my dark room literally i can block out all the light i can turn all the lights off and i can have 30 rolls of film in front of me that need to be loaded onto a reel before they get processed and i cannot turn a light on 
and have any visual stimulation until all of those reels are in the light tight tanks. <laughs> and so I've now occupied my hands, right? I've now stimulated my hands, but I no longer have to think while I load film onto a reel because at this point in my life, I've done it over a thousand times. Yeah. So now while I'm forced to be in that dark closet, it's, it's so funny because now I have girls who work for me and they joke and literally are like, how do you do this? Like, don't like how you don't go crazy. Like you just sit in the, like, cause it takes an hour like to do it all, you know, cause if you have 30 rolls of film, depending on the format of how they go on the reel, there's different ways you put, if I'm doing like large format, then I have sheets of four by five, like yeah. there's totally, and you have, you cannot rely on your sight. You can only rely on your sense of touch mm -hmm. and i swear that's another thing with add because it's like right like another thing with add is you can't put anything away because once you put it away it doesn't exist so how do you turn your brain off you put the world in front of you away <laughs> <laughs> you turn it off but you have to be awake while you do it and yeah. you also have to be doing something else while while the world like while your visual simulation is turned off you also have to be Doing something that makes you feel productive and makes you feel good, or else you're not gonna do it. <laughs> so the only way I'm gonna get close to meditating is by like call it crazy, opening a film lab and forcing myself to do the reels it takes process and have to lock myself in the dark. <laughs> you know, like that's kind of an exaggeration, but to to be honest, yeah, that is it. Like I figured out that was just a byproduct of opening the lab, but it's just a way that I've navigated living in the world of having ADD, running a business and finding some time to zoom out. Cause if yeah. you can't zoom out, you're never going to get anywhere. Cause you, cause I consider zooming out, like checking in yeah. and you got to not only check in on yourself physically, it has to be mentally. Like, have I called my doctor? Have I fulfilled my prescriptions? Have I, you know, whatever the hell? Because I also, like, I'm a type 1 diabetic. Mm -hmm. And so in managing my health my whole life, because this has been since I was six years old, and a lot of the uh, a lot of the difficult things I think that happened to me in my youth were not a direct byproduct of the fact I have diabetes, but it was a byproduct of... Um, the fact that I was really different from everybody else I grew up around and I grew up in a small town and like these, like these kids and these parents of the kids didn't really understand what diabetes was. And it was scary because it is scary. It's frightening, especially when you're a child. So I felt very alienated by it. And I, would entertain myself however I saw fit as a kid because I didn't have many friends so I didn't have a lot of good guidance growing up and I made some bad decisions and you know those things have their byproducts and the fact that I was felt so alienated as a child that I didn't really learn how to interact with the world around me and like what kind of conversations were appropriate to have with people uh you know what I mean so I some inappropriate things happened in my life before I even knew they were inappropriate and I processed that or I avoided processing that 
in the dark room. And here I am now in my adult life back in my very own dark room where there's no rules and I get to take as long as I need to do all the things I have to do here. And it's kind of like my second chance to process those things that happened to me that I didn't understand then but understand now because it's easy for me to get back there mentally when I'm in the same creative process I was <laughs> that I first used as escapism, but now I can use it for how I think um, it was meant to align in my life, I guess you could say. Yeah, no, and so kind of bouncing back to like going to college after after the fact of like that you were realizing like this dark room could be like your your way of escape and like your way of like dealing with this personal trauma that you were going through um when you went into college i'm sure like you didn't have access to the film lab like 24 7 like what were other like ways you had to cope like what other what other ways did you have to escape that weren't just from you know, being able to use the film lab because like now like yeah you have the film lab you can use it whenever you want and anytime you need it it's there but uh what are some of the other like methods you had that helped you out hmm i think a lot of them were unhealthy <laughs> to be honest <laughs> with you. um because yeah so oh yeah i kind of started to touch on this earlier but like kodak filed for bankruptcy in 2012 after i had made this perfect world that involved film and that's actually why I went to college to study photography uh, was solely so that I had access to a dark room for four more years <laughs> so that I could continue to like make big castles in one. You know? <laughs> like, <laughs> and in doing that, I had a huge wake up call, which was, hey, dude, if you want to like like okay so my my dad for example like my parents are great people don't get me wrong but they are not artists so they right. don't understand this world that i live in yeah. and they are like old-fashioned in the sense where uh they followed the whole you know you you grow up you get married you get a good job you have a family and you just they follow the ropes and when you're an artist or anything in the creative aspect it's non-linear it's so non-linear and my parents who have had quite linear lives um, really tried to support me in doing it. And they always wanted me to chase my dreams, but they also did it and made sure they uh, didn't let me get, like they kept me in reality. So my dad is a very practical dude. He's an engineer, right? A very practical forward thinking, like stay within reality grounded dude. And he always said to me, you know, Emily, if you want to go and study art, just like be smart about the decisions you make because there are like, he didn't know any successful artists, you know, it's kind of, like, he was kind of like, just be careful and like, don't spend too much money on college because it's not going to guarantee you a job after. <laughs> Like, you know, it's kind of what he, he didn't say it like that. He let me, he said that without, he said it a lot nicer, but that was yeah. the point he made to me when I was deciding where to go to school. So I was like, all right, if I, just in case I end up like, you know, I have no idea what's going on once I end up with this degree. Let me make sure it doesn't like sink me too deep in the hole. So I decided to stay home, commute to school commute to a school that had a dark room <laughs> which was like conveniently 45 30 to 45 minutes away from my house but once i got to to like college i i realized very quickly that like um 
it wasn't going to be easy to make a career out of what I was trying to do. And I had to figure out really fast in school how to make money (laughs) doing what I want to do and not become like this fear of what my dad kind of installed in me. And he was giving me good advice. Don't get me wrong. But I almost like in my head overcompensated for it in a way like I had such a fear of it I like did so many things while I was in school that I just got lost and it was beautiful for a while but damn eventually I I burnt out and that was like fashion week (laughs) yeah so like leading up on college you started doing fashion week right (laughs) because I I ended up there my sophomore year of college. Oh, wow, in your Um, sophomore year. Yeah, it was. um, So basically, I went through my freshman year of college. I'm navigating the waters, trying to like, like, and I wasn't really taking many art classes at that point because it was a state school that I went to. It wasn't an art school. So I I was getting a degree from a, a state university and studying photography through the art program they had there which is very different than when you uh go somewhere that is an art focused school I guess you could say um which I think in hindsight uh if those schools were more obtainable at that time in my life and maybe if I knew I had ADD back then I would have had a much different experience with school uh than what I really had because Ooh, college was tough. <laughs> Man, that first year was tough because I didn't know I had ADD back then. And now that I have it and have learned how to navigate the world as a person going the same speed as everybody else, where back then I totally could not go the same speed as everybody else, it would have been really different. But anyways, so Fashion Week came to me uh, rapidly and I I got through my freshman year and didn't quite know where to go still after my freshman year. And sophomore year was when I got to start taking some art-specific classes. I think I did take photography classes all four years, but I don't remember. I also don't remember if I got into the darkroom my sophomore year or whatever. College was like, it's all a blur at this it's point. It's a blur. <laughs> so it wasn't even that long ago. Um, but this, I'll never forget, it was the first, roughly the first day of my sophomore year of college and I had also been taking some video courses like I remember I took a basic video intro course my freshman year because my advisor who was the the photography chair member at the art department she was my advisor for like hey here's what classes you should take at this level and blah 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 she was like I recommend you take a basic video course because as a photographer it's good to know all the different things a camera can do So like sign up and take some video courses. And I was like, all right, cool. Yeah, why not? And I really liked it. And I took a basic class. So I learned like the basics of Premiere Pro. Here's how you like turn on a camera, the settings you should use for X, Y, and Z. Like, you know, video 101 or whatever it was. And then coming back my sophomore year, I had over the summer worked on a behind the scenes set for a photographer that he was photographing the behind the scenes of a short film. And so, which that was a crazy story, but that's a, that could be its own whole story. So. 
point being, I couldn't wait to come back my sophomore year and tell my video professor about this because I was a photography major taking a video course and kind of went in like, uh, I don't know about this. And then working on the set was cool. So I was like, oh, let me tell him about this. So I told him, told him about it. And he's like, oh, if you thought that was cool, now that you know how to shoot some video, since you took my class last semester, you should talk to this guy. And he's always looking for people to come to Fashion Week and help him. Uh, he's always looking for interns. And I was like, bet, sign me up. Maybe I like Fashion Week. That sounds like something really cool. At the time, oh my God, I wore like cowboy boots to class like and t-shirts and like jeans that like that were probably kind of like, I had no like no they probably paint on them no fashion sense like I was very much just like yeah these are my clothes uh, whatever like this is the shirt I and it was never I had no idea what personal style was okay you know like, <laughs> I just had some shirts and some pants and some shoes that I liked and so I'm like wow fashion week but fashion week I guess honestly like the first time I ever consciously thought about Fashion Week was when I maybe had an opportunity to go there, which is so crazy, right? Like, what the F? Like, was really what I was thinking when he was telling me about this. But I was like, holy shit, like, maybe this is the thing my dad's talking about, like, that I could get over. This will send me to the level that I need to be at to avoid yeah. what my, my dad told me to avoid. It's like, great, let's do this. So I emailed this guy that he, like, sends me to and he's based in Los Angeles right and I'm New York time zone because I'm in Connecticut and we're emailing until about I think it was 4 a.m in New York by the time I sent him my last email he's like yeah send me like some stuff you filmed send me some stuff you edited and I have like no idea anything about anything I don't know what an internship really looks like because I'm like I was like, I think internships, you do that when you're a junior or a senior. I don't know. Because, like, I didn't even really understand college, but I was there. I ended up there because my freaking grandma told me I had to go. And, like, my parents <laughs> told me I had to go. And here we were. And now I'm having this conversation. And I have no idea what's going on. But cool. Let's do it. Right? So here's the thing. Fashion Week happens in it's happens twice a year. It's in September. And it's in February. And so I'm emailing this dude. The first night of my sophomore year of college, which is like the first week of September, the last week of August. So like I just started my semester of the year and I didn't realize Fashion Week was like next fucking week. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, you can come. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> so it just comes out of nowhere and the next thing you know, in a week and, you're getting ready. And, and I'm like, really? <laughs> Because I guess, I guess somebody had like burned him and said they were going to show up and did it. So he already had the credentialing covered. Um, so all he had to do was replace that person's name with my name. And it was going to be very easy. And I was like, holy shit, this might be my big break. <laughs> like, yeah. let's do it. <laughs> and so I basically met all my professors that next week. Like, so... The semester started, it was like solo this week or whatever. So the first actual day of classes, I had to go up to my professors after class and say, hi, I'm Emily. Um, I'm an art major and I'm not going to be here for the next three classes, but I'm not, I didn't drop. I'm going to come back, um, but <laughs> I have to go do this internship that like might change my life and please don't fail me. <laughs> and were, and they, were all your professors were understanding? 
Oh, hell no. Oh. <laughs> if, if Fashion Week was a non-negotiable with one of my professors, I would drop the course and sign up for a different one. And, like, essentially, I just, like, planned my life around it. Because I was like, if there's anybody who's figured out how to do this photography thing because I didn't know anybody who was a working photographer my professors were the closest thing to that and they were busy being professors you know so they would have people come in and give artist talks but I think that the one-on-one conversations you have with people when you can reach them on a personal level are where you actually get what you need out of that interaction and I felt like maybe I would find that at fashion week and maybe I would then figure out how to do this thing that so many people told me was so impossible to do like maybe I'll find them there right so I switched up my whole life around to make it work and I did it every single year of college after that and it was so it was every single semester because it was not only in September, it was also in February. So that would be like a month and a half into the semester. I was <laughs> for a week and a half. Just and go gone. <laughs> Come back with all these fucking fabulous photos and all these cool stories. And I met this person and I met that person. And it was so cool. And my life changed. I got to the fact, like I got to Fashion Week and my mind was blown. It was expanded in a way that it never had been before in my small world. That was my little town I grew up in, like my little dark room <laughs> that I still had at college. Like it was time for me to get the hell out of the dark room and get into the real world, baby. And boy, did I see the real world at Fashion Week. <laughs> oh my goodness. And so I feel like I I caught the complete other end of like this idea of being a photographer once I met the photographers at Fashion Week, who now looking back, a lot of them were like really amazing photographers who did amazing things and shot like gorgeous bodies of work outside of Fashion Week. But oh my God, so many of them were like paparazzi. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and I don't want to grow up and be paparazzi. Yeah, no, no, no and, photographer looks up to that. Yeah. And the line, since I ended up at Fashion Week with no idea what even the real world looked like. Like, Fashion Week is a fantasy world in itself. And a lot of people there are the people who buy the fantasy. That is Fashion Week. Because it's, there's so much art. And if you're an artist, you love fashion, you know? And that's why I fell in love with it, because I was an artist. And I saw the clothes, like, coming down the runway. And I had the best FNC in the house, okay? I, I would sit next to, like, like one time I was covering this show and the guy who like shot for sneezed on me and this was after he knew my face and knew I was like pressed for a really important media outlet not just some screw head in the media pit because there was a lot of those because I'm yeah. young so I, people assume I'm like not really supposed to be anywhere at fashion week so I catch a lot of wind and there's a lot of value in being a familiar face once you get to the media pit let me tell you that because there's a hierarchy there and like it's kind of like an unspoken one, right? <laughs> like, but can quickly cause tension that could quickly be bad. So you learn how to like navigate the waters. And so this guy who shot for, uh, I- I'm not going to say who he shot for. If I said it, please cut it out. Cause I don't yeah. know, like, I don't want to get anybody in trouble, but 
basically he got to sit front and center with his seat because he was that important and he sneezed on me in the middle of this super long show and so he owed me some favors because he felt really bad oh so for, like a solid few seasons there like my seat was next to him in the <laughs> so i would see the clothes coming down the runway under the light that was perfectly illuminating them so that every single person in the media pit could not possibly get a bad picture of it. I got to watch the clothes move and dance and the models and like before I got to see the grand show while the model like the models are walking towards me. I'm the one sitting there like getting like I'm filming what you all see online, you know. Yeah. Like, and I'm seeing it real time. And right before I saw it on the runway, I was just backstage talking to that model. I just interviewed her. That designer, I just heard that designer pour their heart and soul in their interview about what they created. And now I get to see it real time on the runway. And like, the thing about Fashion Week is so many people dream of being there. So every single person you talk to is so excited to be there. Oh, and it's my like goodness. a high. Every single, like, I chat with the makeup artists. I chat with the girls who just sign up to help the models get dressed. Who, really, they, like, they're usually, like, students at, like, different, like, fashion colleges. And they're just, like, this is the coolest shit I've ever seen in my life. And I'm, like, <laughs> yeah, dude, I know, right? <laughs> but the problem is that it's, it's that. It's that rush. And it's that intensement. And it's those quirky interactions for 16 hours in one day. Yeah. And you're simultaneously carrying around a pelican case filled with a lot of expensive gear that you're responsible for not losing a damn piece of it that is like 50 pounds and yeah. you're carrying it up and down the subways like i don't have money to take ubers in manhattan i'm in effing college and i'm the intern <laughs> like yeah <laughs> like i'm taking the subway and i'm crashing on someone's couch i'm not sleeping good and like you know you go and it's this high all day and this excitement and this overstimulation and everything is so goddamn beautiful because that's the point is that it's all pretty you know the people the clothes all of it it's pretty <laughs> and then you you get back and like you have to back up all your files for the day and like I worked for a TV network, so I was also, I was doing photo, I was doing video, I was, like, wearing many hats, because, like I said, I was the intern in the beginning, and so, you know, even though I, I was back at wherever I was staying, I had to, like, be responsible for the day's work and back it up, and then you have to, like, back it up in one place, then you have to label it all so the editor knows what every show, like, what clips go to what show, and whatever, because, the turnaround time in the fashion world is like 24 hours, you know, and that's changed a bit over the past few years. Um, and especially once, um, cause when I first started, uh, we weren't a full on TV network. We were very close to being that. Like I got in after my higher ups had been in the industry for a very long time. Um, so it, it sounds like to me, it sounded like I was getting in right as things were getting good. Right. And so I just chased that. And the, my only obligation was that I had to be there during fashion week. And so I loved it because it was like, great, if I can just make myself disappear for this amount of time, twice a year, uh, whatever, I'll just worry about school and everything else when I get back. <laughs> and here's the escapism again. Yeah. And so it was like, I started out thinking I was going to find the golden ticket at fashion week. And then I got so like 
eyes glossed over by how beautiful uh, the interactions and experience was that I like forgot why I was even going. <laughs> like, you know, and I, and I worked my way up in the network, right? And so I was doing a lot of stuff for the network. Like I, I helped them um, with like my, my role within the network started to grow. I was no longer the intern, you know, I, I, I worked for them. And still the obligation never changed. I just have to be there for fashion week. And after college, I even got to go to Europe and do the European fashion circuit. I mean, I got to go to Morocco with them. Oh. Um, this was obviously before the world shut down. Yeah. Um, but the th- it, it never changed. It was always the same obligation. Just sh- you have to be available for fashion week. And I was like, that's not so bad. And then I get to go out, do all this like cool stuff. But I started to realize that, um, the more I got sucked into this commercial world of like, I got to make money. I got to do the cool stuff and I got to let everybody know I'm doing the cool stuff because they're going to hire me and then I'm going to make it. Yay. Like, uh, I never found the golden ticket. I was quite looking for there. And I realized like, Oh, I have to like create it myself. Uh, and I don't know how to do that still. So let me just keep doing this until maybe one day I figure it out. And I kind of got lost in that, right? Like, let me just keep putting my hands in all these other people's things. And what I thought was like, here I am gaining all this information, which in hindsight I was, but I got like blinded that I lost the point, which brings me back to like what your personal definition of success is. I didn't know what I was chasing anymore. You were just kind of doing I, whatever to yeah, be able to make ends meet, pay rent and everything. Yeah. And, and I got a photo studio, right? So I, ha- I got a job after college. I was still going and doing fashion week. It was still destroying me. Like my whole world would fall apart when I came home. It was so amazing while you're there. And then you come home and it's like, you have to put out fires. And in college, it was the hardest because... I had to put out fires. I had like, I financed everything myself basically like, you know, and that puts a huge strain on you. Cause I, I was commuting to school. I was also working full time while I was a student. I didn't even mention that. Oh, so not wow. only did I have to get a week off of school, I had to get a week off of work, <laughs> <laughs> which was sometimes harder than getting a week off of school. Cause like shit, if my professor said, no, I just dropped class assignment for some other bullshit one that would be credit requirement. That was like online or something. And like, I always just figured it out, you know, I always just made it work, but I was like, why am I doing that to myself when I could also just be present in my life and where I am? It's like, I was so early in my idea of what I defined as success when I got to Fashion Week, I got stuck there. Yeah. And I felt like, oh, maybe the point is that I made it here. (laughs) Like, maybe this is it. And then I was like, no, it's not. (laughs) This isn't what I want to do forever. Are you kidding me? And I really didn't have that wake-up call until the freaking world shut down. Wow. Absolutely amazing stuff from Emily. Be sure to tune in next week, October 13th, for the rest of her episode. But until then, you can check out Emily's work on her portfolio linked down below, or you can find her on Instagram at Emily Swift Studios. Also, if you shoot film and are looking for someone that can develop it at amazing prices with top-notch quality, be sure to check out her film company, Darkslide Labs.